Cahen is sponsored in part by Soulcraft Brewing, Salida's hometown brewery, offering a large selection of traditional and seasonal craft beers. Their spacious patio features cozy fire pit tables for outdoor warmth on chilly days. Fresh food is served daily at the Soul Shack food truck, featuring snacks like wings and pretzels, and full meals like sandwiches, burgers, and a delicious brunch on Sunday. Soulcraft is open daily for happy hour, lunch, and dinner. Cahen is supported in part by Little Red Hen Bakery, located at 302 G Street in downtown Salida. Little Red Hen specializes in hometown fresh-baked bread, bagels, and treats, all made with organic and local ingredients. A full menu, including the wood-fired oven schedule and daily specials, can be found on their Facebook page at Little Red Hen Salida. Cahen and Little Red Hen – just two hometown chickens working to keep Salida, Salida. Well, welcome, friends, to another edition of On the Rails here at KHEN 106.9 on your FM dial. Um, by podcast, anytime you want to go there. Um, if you want to go to uh, iTunes, you can listen on, on iTunes. And uh, what we do here at On the Rails is talk about train trips people have happened. So we, we talk some about what it could mean to get railroad passenger travel back in the U.S. today. We, we were semi-sponsored by the uh, Colorado Association of Railroad Passengers, and a little bit by the um, National Association of Railroad Passengers. So we, we, we've got some ties there. Uh, get it, ties? Ha <laughs> ha. And, uh, and before we spike the show, we want to talk, talk a little more about hobos. And hobos are such a big part of the mythology of the rails. And George Graham is a part of that. He has a show that I've watched for a long time now, um, really good one, in which he talks about his travels as a hobo, but he does something I, not many hobos have ever done, I don't think. He has a video with him, and he'll take a video, a video of where he's hoboing, a video of himself getting in a boxcar, say, a video of a yard where he gets on. It's wonderful. And so welcome, George. And we also have to remember and we here in the Cahen caboose are keeping warm. We're keeping a fire in the old wood stove, or maybe it's, maybe it's even, I don't know. It's, we're keeping the fire going here, and so we can stay warmer. But this train is not hauled from our end, from the caboose end. No, it's hauled by Rick White. Hello, Rick. Forrest, thank you very much. You've changed your intro on that a little bit. You must be uh, feeling good today. Hey, and I, I just want to put this uh, thought out uh, to George Graham's uh, fans out there. This is a railroad show on the rails with Forrest Whitman. And we reach out for uh, railroad stories. And the best way to reach out to us 
is info at khen.org. And they, that email will make it to us and we'll follow up. With That is how we are reaching out for uh, shows a little bit further than our community here in Salida, Colorado. How's that, Forrest? That's good. With you at the head end and me being the conductor in the caboose, we're going we're gonna to learn everything we need to know from George Graham. George calls his show, by the way, Jumping Off the Cliff, in which, in, in the sense that once you go hoboing, you've jumped off. You're sort of cut off. So, George, what do you want to say about life? How much are you cut off as a hobo? Well, nowadays, not, not all that much, really. I mean, you've got your cell phone uh, with you, and so, and a lot of times picture in this country, the rails going places that roads don't go. But the reality is, is that the roads often have followed where the railroads ran because it was the easiest, lowest grade, less mountains to cut through, etc. And wherever the roads are, that tends to be where they put cell towers. So you aren't exactly cut off. It's more uh, perhaps cut off from the normal conveniences of of life. I like to keep my costs down so I don't stay in motels until I have to recharge my camera batteries or cell phone, etc. So you're you're kind of out there. You're not really in campgrounds often. You're just finding a place to roll out your sleeping bag and and stay out of sight, so to speak. And uh, so from that sense, you are a bit cut off, but from the sense of really being isolated completely without communication or anything, um, that's not so much today. You know, you wow. still got your phone. You know, George, if you rode in a passenger car on the, uh, on the trains, you get a plug. <laughs> that's right. You get a plug. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. You do. I've been, I've been known to take a electric heating blanket on a train because they tend to be kind of cool. They keep them cool summer and winter if everything's working <clears throat> right. You know, what's funny about being comfortable on the passenger train. And I'm sitting here today with just a little bit of a tweaked back. I love riding the passenger trains. I don't have any problem riding a train at all. But if I'm going to ride any distance on one, I have to break down and get a sleeper because my back can't take the seat. I'm tall, uh, relatively tall. Uh-huh. I'm 6'3", maybe 6'4", if I stand up straight. And uh, I don't fit those seats well. Yeah. And it's not long until my back is really bothering me. And I would literally be more comfortable laying on the floor sometimes than the coach seat. I kind of, if I'm going somewhere and going to come back home and I don't want to hop freights or I'm in a hurry, need to get back for an obligation or something, I'll look and see if they've got, because right before the trains are set to leave, they'll discount those sleepers dramatically. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, like I rode from Seattle to Minneapolis or, or actually to Columbus, Wisconsin, which is a station relatively close to Madison, uh, I think it cost me $600. And that includes the fare, the train fare and the meals. All and, those meals and the meals are pretty good. Yeah. And, and that's really two nights of a motel. 
included in there because it's a two night ride, you know. So, uh, but the comfort level, the ability to stretch out and save your back is just, you know, amazing. Uh, so I'll cheat, you know, if I'm going to ride, ride Amtrak, I'll try and do that. But otherwise, that's one of the advantages to riding a freight train is I can stretch out. You know, you can get uh -huh. your get your air mattress and pad rolled out and be very comfortable in terms of having some space and watching the scenery. You can see out both sides of the yeah. train, unless you're in a boxcar. If you're in a boxcar, usually you can only see out one side, you know. What would be your uh, preferred type of car to uh, ride on? Well, my preferred, and I'm probably somewhat unique in this, I, I think, because uh, I know a lot of the guys like the grainers, uh, you know, the hopper cars, and then of course, box cars. But I'm a fan of the intermodal cars, uh, either uh -huh. the pigs, you know, the pigs with the fairings on them, we call them pigs with wings. Uh -huh. yeah. some, people, some people call them flying pigs, but you know, the yeah. old piggyback trailer. Uh, either those or the double stack containers that have a little room on either end where you can stretch out behind the containers. Those are my favorite. And part of that is that I like to ride the Western half of the U S uh, although this year I will ride more Eastern, but I like the Western U S and you're, man, you got to cover some miles. Yeah. And those, I tell you what, man, those Z trains, they do not mess around. You know, you're running 70 miles an hour uh, some of the time on those things. And uh, you're just clipping right along. And so pretty soon you've gone 600 miles or whatever it is, or a thousand even. And uh, so I like those. Where if you ride junk, which is, you know, your, your, your basic uh, mixed manifest, general manifest freight train, they're much slower. And... You know, you have to be careful sometimes if you're not paying attention, you could get on one that's that's even a local train that stops every at every town and, and works, you know, so it takes you a day to get anywhere in the things. But, uh, you know, so my favorite's the intermodal cars because of I'm I'm liking those Z trains, the hot shots. But if I'm going to ride a general manifest, then I then it's, you know, I look for a high walled grainer, but it's not as comfortable a ride. Uh, slack action is much more pronounced on a standard freight train than it is on those intermodals. You know, they're a articulated car, so there is no hitch between most of them. There's just a, you know, they're mechanically permanently connected together. So there's much less slack in those cars. And so you don't get that pronounced bang and that the, you get as the slack comes in and out. You know, I call it slackion. But, you know, it's slack action. It's slack action. I like it, action. yeah. Well, which is the first thing we warn you as you join us back here in the caboose. If you do want to climb up into the angel seat up above so you can get a nice view from the cupola, why keep your feet up there. Keep braced. Because if when you hear the slack coming down there, boom, 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 you know, you'll be knocked off down into the conductor's area with the rest of us, or maybe. But the, the, that's important to remember. And I, I had not thought ahead enough to realize, as you're saying, to select one like that. How, what would it look like when you select it for our, our, newbie, our newbies out there? What are they looking at here? Well, on the intermodals, 
you know, there's only certain ones of them that are rideable. Typically, they hold 53 foot trailers, containers in them. And then some of them have a little platform at the end of the container that's room enough for you to lay your stuff out and have room. So you have to find those. Otherwise, if you try and ride one that's empty or the containers are the smaller size containers, say a 40 foot container in a 53 foot well, then you end up with an open floor below you and just a framework there. And they call it a suicide ride. And you have to be, you have to be super careful uh, riding on, I, I don't ride those, you know, I'm not in that big of a, big of a rush, but big I, of a rush. yeah. But on the grainers, like on a general manifest, if I don't find a box car, which I suppose a box car might be my preferred, but I, I like seeing out both sides. So I, I probably would choose a grainer first and then a box car, but you know, on, in the case of a hopper car hey, like Papa, that, Papa George, could you, could I, can I slow you down for a second? Yeah. For for our for the uninitiated out there, what does the, what does your grainer look like when well, you're so, appro approaching it? So um, you know they're a hopper car. You know the hoppers have angled ends on them. Each hopper has slanted angular steel, if you will, that funnels everything down to the bottom where the hopper opens for unloading the car. So at each end of the car, because of the way those hoppers slant there's oftentimes a solid floor there under the hopper, if you will, that, or, you know, I shouldn't say under it, but next to it. So that angle creates a space that you can ride where the lat end of the ladder, the end of the car is, there's a ladder and everything. Well, sometimes there's space to ride there. And there's different types of hopper cars that can hide you better than others. They have a higher wall, so to speak, that goes around that platform at the end of the car and gives you a place to lay down out of sight, where some of them don't have much of, a, much of an enclosure at all. And, and then, of course, there's another one we refer to as the Cadillac Grainer that not only has a high wall around the floor area, but it also has walls going up the side that can help conceal you on there. Um, so I don't know if that explains it. It's probably hard to, hard to describe exactly. Well, but, we're trying to visualize it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's typical kind of cars that you would see at a grain elevator, because that's mostly what they haul are, are materials like grains or sand, sometimes cement, they'll, they'll haul cement in them or plastic pellets anything that's sort of granular in nature, they'll put into those hopper cars at times, but they're covered. So they protect the uh, cargo from, uh, from the weather. And so it's a covered hopper as opposed to like a gondola, uh, you know, which would be an open, open half box car, so to speak. So I'm a novice. I'm, I'm watching the train being made up out here. Now, how would I guess What's long distance and and what's as you say going to be a, a local switch them out at every every little grain elevator a kind of a car. You can't tell so much from the cars, but it's more like where is the train originating. So if you're in a, a switching yard in a small town, and let's say at Colorado, an example would be uh, oh, is it Yuma? Uh, one of those towns in eastern Colorado, I don't remember if it's Yuma or not, has a, a little rail yard there. And so a train would come from Denver, uh, what I would call a local train, 
would come out of Denver and it would stop in Yuma and it would pick up and drop off cars there where a through train would go, would be planning to go from Denver all the way to Chicago without interchanging cars anywhere along the way. So you've got kind of these regional trains that will drop cars off at a place like Yuma. And then if you're actually in Yuma, you have to look at the engines and you can kind of tell a local engine a lot of times because it'll only be four axle engines. The trucks will be four axles instead of six. And so a place out of Yuma, they'll make up little local trains that will go serve the local customers in the area. And those are very short trains. So, you know, they may only have a dozen cars on them or something like that. And they may all be the same kind of car because they're only going to one location. So you can kind of tell based on the size. But the biggest thing is to know where you are. So if I'm in Denver and they're making up a long train, which is going to have to be joined together in several steps, uh, you know, we call it a double back where they'll pull forward a string of cars back up to the next string. Then they may have to pull forward again and back up to yet another string so that they end up with this train that's like two miles long. You can generally count on that being a long distance, good ride, probably going to Chicago or somewhere like that. Uh Or if it's going north and then going up towards Cheyenne, something like that. The easiest way to find out is to, you know, ask a friendly <laughs> rail yard worker where that train's going. And, and if he knows what car you ought to get on, uh, you know, I try and avoid doing that, but, you know, once in a while, you, you know, if you really need to be on the road and sometimes it's just, it's just worth breaking down, taking the chance and asking a couple questions. So when you're uh, looking for your trains or your rides, um, are you, you're in the yard? I usually try my best to stay out of the yards. So, you know, basically, once you understand railroad operations, especially on the longer through trains, picturing these trains being at least a mile, if not two miles long, right? Mm -hmm. So when you understand where the railroads stop to change crews, then you go to where you know they stop and change crews and you know to go at least a mile the other direction, right? So if it's a westbound train, go a mile east of that point, you'll be about mid train. Mm -hmm. So usually at that point, you're out of the yard. I see. You know, so so unless it's a really big yard. So even in the big cities, um, a lot of times the trains are so long now, they don't even go all the way into the yard. Like you might pull in partway in Chicago to make a crew change or something and half the train's still sticking out. Um, So I kind of avoid going into the yards at all is you know they're dangerous places number one there's cars dangerous rolling. in the sense that you might run into uh, when we yep. used to have the hump yard it's dangerous in that sense of a something coming out of the blue or yes and i i can give you an example like everything you, you don't know what's going to kill you till it kills you you know <laughs> so anytime i'm anywhere where there's multiple tracks you've got to keep your head on a swivel, right? And because, you know, you'll start focusing. I'm looking for a ride. There's a train creeping past, getting ready to stop, or maybe it's getting ready to pull out. I'm focused on that. Well, if there's a track between me and that train, you know, I'll see other people. And I've, I'm guilty of it on occasion of standing in the other tracks watching this train. And you've got to keep your head on a swivel or while, you know, because you can't hear like you think you can. 
everything's quieter nowadays with the welded ribbon rail. You don't hear the clickety clack. So if a train's coasting, uh, the train you're focusing on may be making more noise than the one coming to kill you. I was catching out to go to New Orleans from Chicago. And I'm outside of the intermodal yard. And it was one of these situations where the train I wanted was going to double back and build itself. So it'd be sticking well out of the intermodal yard. And then I'd have a few minutes, hopefully, to find a car and get on. Well, between myself and the track that train was on were about three tracks. And sure enough, a bare table train getting ready to pull into the yard to get loaded, you know, the double stack cars empty. It came right at that time. And fortunately, it kept going and went past me and down the tracks just a little ways. So as I'm standing there watching for my train that I want to get on as it's building itself up and, you know, you try and time it so that the last time it makes its last connection and has stopped, you can get on. Well, sometimes you're guessing as to, is this the last stop? Why is this going to, yeah. You know? Oh my God. I can, I can just imagine the dialogue, the inner dialogue. Now, should I, should I move, move now? Should I make my move later? Oh my goodness. Right. And so I'm standing there as my train stops, I'm standing there and that empty line of bare table cars backed up right in front of me. No, no noise, no sound whatsoever. Had I been standing closer to those tracks or in the tracks, who knows what would have happened? I, you know, and I don't remember now if I happened to catch it out of my, you know, left side as it was coming back, or if I was just far enough back that suddenly those cars are in front of me, blocking my way to my other train. I ended up not being able to catch that train that day. Those cars blocked me. And then as I'm deciding whether to climb over the stack of cars that could move at any time, the train left without me. And uh, Uh, (laughs) I'm to come back another day, the next day. Going all the way to New Orleans. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What yard out of Chicago is that? It's the Canadian National Yard there. Oh. I don't I don't know the name of it. Nice. Off the t- I do know it, but it's not coming to me off the top of my head. But it's a terrible place to catch out of actually. It's uh there's an office right there and and uh, I was lucky to not not be seen number 1 and to actually get get on the train the next day even. I got on the last car of the thing and uh, just barely caught up to it and got on, you know. This it's has been really good. really good, and uh, I've enjoyed every moment of it. For those of you who have just turned in, this is uh, George Graham. If you just tuned in, George Graham, uh, who is the host of Jumping Off the Cliff, which is a description of his life on the rails. And he's just been t- telling us what an art form it is to catch out on the right. Oh, catch out is... That's the hobo term for catching a ride. And uh, to catch out on the right a string of cars so that you're, you're, you've got an intermodal and you're, <laughs> or you think you know where you're going. And, and he's been talking about how you do that without particularly engaging the employees. And well, that's a brief summary of where we've been. George, what a life, the, the hobo life. Just really fun. 
George, why don't you explain a little bit? Uh, jumping off cliff is uh, your Facebook. Uh, jumping off the cliff. Well, it's it's my YouTube channel. So youtube.com slash jumping off the cliff. And then I have a blog site, jumpingoffthecliff.com that I don't keep up the way I should. And then I also have a Facebook page. So Facebook jumping off the cliff as well. All right. Well, thank you for that. I sh I'm sure that our listeners will be uh, looking into that. And uh, yeah, this has been great. And I'll wind up this first segment as we think about where to where to catch out next with George Graham. Okay, let's let's throw the old fusey off into the snow. At the count of three, we'll go highball. One, two, three. Highball! Highball! Cahan is supported in part by Hilltop Broadband. Hilltop Broadband for residential and business wireless internet service. Servicing Salida and Poncho Springs in Chaffee County, as well as areas in Fremont County, Custer County, and more. To experience the Hilltop difference and request new customer information, email info at hilltop-broadband.com or call toll-free 877-783-2889.